Father, we thank you, God, for the hope that exists within Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that we can have fun on a Wednesday night and we can enjoy ourselves by being in each other's company and God, we can build relationships by doing fun things and that's great and that's wonderful and I thank you for the fact that we have joy because of Jesus Christ. Lord, but I also know that there comes joy, comes from knowing you more intimately and knowing who you are and how you have revealed yourself in your word. So Lord, I pray right now that God, you would continue to reveal yourself to us through your word. God, that it would challenge us. God, it would instruct us. God, it would cleanse us, it would purify us. God, it would do great things in our lives because I know your word has the power to do that. So, Lord, here we are on a Wednesday night in the middle of the week. Uh, Lord, we've had a good time through worship. We've had a good time through games. And, Lord, I I just pray that we just learn something more about you right now. That right now you would clear our minds and clear our hearts of everything else, all the distractions in this world, so that right now we can just listen to you, listen to you attentively, God, and that you can change our lives through the power of your word. God, cleanse us, purify us, make us right with you right now, God, so that we can receive your word, God, and we can use this word, God, to go out and proclaim your good news. Father, thank you so much for this time and the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we're starting a new series tonight. Um, We had been on discipleship, and I had really been toying with the idea, should we continue that? Should we go a different direction? Should we do something new? Uh, I, I had in my mind, I, I don't often let you in. Well, I do. I take that back. There are some times when I let you in on things that God shows me, confirms things, tells me. There are some times when I can't do that. I, God, for whatever reason, convicts my heart that I need to keep this quiet. This is only for me. I don't need to necessarily tell anybody about it. This doesn't happen to be one of those things. Uh, I was toying with the idea of going into the book of Isaiah and selecting some passages from Isaiah to, uh, to preach to you about, you know, to try to explain a difficult prophet to understand sometimes, uh, one of the, some of the most difficult passages to really grip and hold on to, it, it's difficult sometimes, admittedly, and knowing the history behind Isaiah and the stuff that was happening in, 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 in the southern kingdom of, of Judah and all this kinds of stuff, and like, I, I was really dealing with that and really wanting to share something with you, and, and then I just got confirmation uh, today as I was I was I couldn't get it off my mind. I got confirmation uh, from Keith, as a matter of fact, that 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 Isaiah is something he's been studying and he was interested in. He texted me out of the blue, and I I just I was like, man, apparently we're talking to the same God. That's good news. You know what I mean? Like apparently we are talking to the same dude, and he is telling us the same thing. That's that's really good news. It's just so cool when stuff like that happens. When you're completely two different sets of people, completely two different lives, and then. God just kind of uses each other to confirm things, and it's just amazing when God does that, and I'm so thankful that 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 happens, because a lot of times, without that confirmation, I'd just be wandering around going, I don't know, I'm unsure, I'm not not sure if this is the direction we're supposed to be going, maybe we're supposed to do something else, but today, God just gave me some clear direction and said, this is what we're going to be doing. So we're going to be talking about this prophet Isaiah. Now, what was a prophet? Well, it, it was somebody that talked to God. That's basically what a prophet was. Somebody that talked to God, and they took what God said, and they told the people what God had said. Uh, you know, modern day, I guess you would kind of call that a preacher, uh, but it, it was kind of more than that back in, uh, back in Isaiah's day. Um, it was a little bit deeper than just a preacher. Uh, it was somebody that was willing to 
uh, go against the grain so much so that a lot of times there would be an opposition to the king who might be ruling at that time, and, and, and the king would not like what the prophet had to say, and they might have the prophet killed, or uh, something bad might happen to the prophet. The prophet had to stand strong in the midst of opposition and difficulties, even if it meant that he was going to lose his life as a result of it. He just, that's what he did. He felt so strongly that God was telling him this, that he would say, this is what God says. You can like it or you can leave it, but this is what God says. And Isaiah, he actually was a prophet over, uh, during the time of four different kings in his time. Uh, uh, the, the, the one that we're going to read about today is in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, the name of the king is King Uzziah. This was some 740 B.C. before uh, before, before Christ, and, and we see that um, Isaiah here in this particular passage, in Isaiah chapter 6, if you're having trouble finding Isaiah, just go to Psalms, then you go to Proverbs, then you'll go to Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, whatever you want to call it, and then you'll reach Isaiah immediately after that. So start in Psalms, that's, a lot, that's the easiest place to find, right, in your Bible, and then start flipping. So today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, we're going to talk about what was going on in this time. The first uh, few chapters of Isaiah, chapters 2 through 5, is all about the fact that, that, that the people of God, the Israelites in a lot of ways, were, were, uh, they had a lot of sin in their life. They had a lot of things that they were doing wrong, a lot of things in opposition to God. Uh, but, but God was still kind of blessing. He was taking care of his people. And the people were, were, were just trying to barely hang on. And they felt like as long as King Uzziah was still in control, that, that, that things would continue to go good. Like he was, he was holding everything together, if you will. He was the one that was kind of, he was the glue that kind of make it stick together. And, and God was kind of blessing while Uzziah was in control. Uzziah uh, reigned during a time when there was a good bit of prosperity. As a matter of fact, he solidified uh, Jerusalem. They, they, they were able to fortify the city of Jerusalem. They actually, I read somewhere that they created like some, some, some devices to shoot arrows at the enemies or they would fling large stones at the enemies. I mean, everybody's got pictures of like, uh, I don't know what that game is you play, but anyway, so it's like throwing the, the stones. I don't know why my mind just went blank on that game. But anyway, throwing the stones, shooting the arrows at the enemy, trying to defend off them, uh, all the enemies that are coming against them because Assyria was in, uh, in the process of attacking uh, the, the, the southern kingdom at this point in time. So a lot of fighting. You know, there's, there's no real like big hairy monsters or anything like that like you see uh, on the commercials. This is just men attacking the southern kingdom. The Assyrians attacking the southern kingdoms, trying to take control. Uzziah, it, he's got it going on, man. He's like developed these things that they put on the towers to shoot arrows and rocks at the enemies. And the, the city is fortified. And, and things seem to be going pretty well, so much so that they're able to focus on agriculture, and, and they're, they're like, they've got lots, of, you know, once you get uh, your crops growing and you got enough food, then you've got surplus, and then you can sell food, and once you sell food, then you've got money left over to do some extra things with, right? So it's going good in King Uzziah's day. Uh, what happens every single time that, that things start going good and some dude's in control? It seems like it happens all the time. What creeps in? Pride, P-R-I-D-E, pride creeps in. And that's exactly what happened to King Uzziah. King Uzziah uh, said, man, everything's going good. God is blessing me. I'm going to go into the temple and perform some of the priestly duties that only a priest can do. And, and I, I'm going I'm to do that. And all he did was burn some incense. And immediately he was struck in with, stricken with leprosy. 
so that's bad, right? Leprosy, where the skin starts to boil up and fall off your body. And it, we talked about leprosy before. We talked about how it, it, it basically desensitizes the flesh so that it, it, you don't really recognize that you've got uh, stuff that's hurting you. Uh, there's instances, I mean, it's still something that, that, that people deal with today. Leprosy is still around today, but not as prevalent. But, you know, people could t- touch a burning hot coal or something like that, and, and they wouldn't recognize that it was just burning their flesh off. Uh, or or they, would, they would go and turn a handle or something like that, and they would turn it with such force that it would just rip the skin off their hands. I mean, that's what leprosy does. One of the devastating things about it is the way it desensitizes you, anesthetizes. There's a big fancy nursing word for it. Anesthetizes your, your touch and your senses such that you don't really recognize the fact that you are hurting yourself. So leprosy is really bad. King Uzziah's got leprosy. And here we see in chapter 6 what's going on. It's freak out time. That's what's going on. It's freak out time. Because people are worried. While King Uzziah was in control, there was all this prosperity and things were going good. King Uzziah gets leprosy. He dies. And here we see Isaiah coming on the scene in chapter 6. In the chapters 2 through 5, it's talking about all the sins that the people of God are committing and all the ways that they're rejecting God. And here in chapter 6, we see that King Uzziah has died in some 740 B.C. That's what that little note says. Beside the, It was in the year of King Uzziah. And then you see probably got a little A or something beside your notes in your Bible, and it says, you see, I had died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and a train of his robe filled the temple. You know what I think a lot of times? You know what I think? I, I, I think in this day, in this time, I think there's a lot less reverence for the holiness of God. Especially when you, when you look at, at, at youth groups in particular. Um, there's, there's a lot of youth groups. In, in, and look I, I, look, I came from youth ministry. I know what it's like. And I know the temptation is, let's do whatever it takes to get as many youth in the building as possible. Because if they're in the building and they're listening to the word of God, that's, that's better than them being outside and, and doing something they're not supposed to be doing. And to an extent, that is true. That, that, that is true, that, that if they're in the church building, at least they're not sinning out where they could be out doing something else that they're not supposed to be doing. And that is true. But we cannot do that at the expense of the Word of God. And one of the things that the, the Word of God points to is the holiness of God. And we can't ignore that. I, I won't ignore that. Uh, as your pastor, I won't just say, well, we're going to do a bunch of fun stuff. We're going to teach you some scripture that makes you feel really good and really happy. And, and we're going to say that everybody's doing good because they're in church this week. And then you'll be able to go out. And, and then what's going to happen? When you get in college, when you get in college, you want nothing to do with God. Because all church was to you was a place that you went to have fun. It's not building a foundation, and I want you to understand, I want to build a foundation in you so that when you go out and you're, you're faced with the reality, when you hit college, that I have to have a relationship with Jesus, and it has to be mine, that it is founded on the Word of God and not on something else. And everybody's like, well, Kenny, we just got done playing a game up here for five, ten minutes. Yep, you're right, we did. And there, there are going to be times when we go bowling, 
And there are going to be times when we do all kinds of fun stuff in here. We're going to eat ice cream, and we're going to dress up at Halloween, and it's going to be fun. But for the most part, what you're going to see on Wednesday nights, and when we really focus in on our our youth, our our teenagers, what you're really going to see is we're going to focus on the Word of God. Even in those times when we have fun, we're still going to give you a foundation in the Word of God. And that foundation is going to be two things. One is the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin. And that's where we're going to stay. There are going to be times when we, we talk to you about the, you know, the, the, the good things too. We're going to tell you stories that happen in the Bible. But we're going to still focus on the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin. And we're going to drive that point home. I don't want to ignore that. Because what's going to happen one day is when you get out on your own, you've got to live this life on your own. All you're going to be able to fall back on is that foundation of the Word of God. And hopefully you'll look at the Bible and say, that is where I go to for my foundation. It's not my friends. It's not my friends. I want you to have friends in here. I really do. I want relationships built. I want people to have unity amongst uh, the believers. I want that. But I don't want that to be your foundation. I want your foundation to be in the Word of God. Here we see Isaiah has an encounter with the holiness of God. This, if you read John chapter 12, verse 41, you'll see that this is actually Jesus Christ. We've, caught, we've said this word before, and here I like to teach you those big churchy words that we don't even use. But uh, Christophany, a pre-incarnate, means before Jesus was ever born into the Virgin Mary, this is an appearance of Jesus Christ, is what it is. And here Isaiah has an encounter with Jesus Christ. He has an encounter with the holiness of God. Can you imagine for just a second being face to face with the holiness of God? Jesus Christ right in front of you, looking at you and looking at your soul, looking at your sin, looking at all that you are, and you're in the face of God's glory. All you can see is God's glory. As a matter of fact, he says that the glory of God is filling up the temple. He's gone into the temple and he looks and he sees the, the train of his robe is just filling up the temple. This is talking about the very glory of God has just surrounded him. It is all over the place. Everywhere he looks, you know what he sees? He sees Jesus. Can you imagine for just a second being in the presence of a holy God? Just like Isaiah was. Not only that, not only that, not only does he see uh, see the glory of God and the fact that his, his train fills the, uh, fills the whole temple. I want you to think about what's happening here. What's happened? It says King Uzziah has died. The place is in turmoil. People are upset. People are freaking out. What's going to happen to us, man? Everything was going good while King Uzziah was here. What's going to happen to us now? King Uzziah died. He's gone. There's nobody to take care of us anymore. King Uzziah ruled for 52 years. He started when he was age 16. He ruled for 52 years. King Uzziah's gone now, and everybody's worried. What's going to happen to us now? What will happen? Jesus was still on the throne. Right? The Lord God was on his throne. When you have trouble in your life, and you think everything's falling apart, and 
and, and nothing's going to work out right and, and calamities come into our doorstep and I don't know what to do, I want you to think back to this passage in Isaiah chapter 6 and say, you know what? Jesus is still on his throne. You know what Isaiah was telling the people when he, when, he, when he told them about what he saw, when he told us what he saw in his word, as you look at Isaiah chapter 6 right now, that God is on his throne, that even though things may look terrible right now, from an earthly perspective, God is still on the throne. And his glory still covers up the place. His glory is still as far as you can see. God is still on the throne. Who cares about an earthly king? What matters is the fact that Jesus, our Lord, is still on the throne. I don't care what a State of the Union address says. I, 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 I mean, I, I will go and I will vote for the person that I believe can lead this country in the right direction. And I care to a limited extent, but for the most part, you know what I care about? You know where my hope relies, where my hope stays? It's in the fact that God is on the throne, that Jesus is on the throne, that he still rules and he still reigns in this world, no matter who the president is. It doesn't matter if it looks like it's falling apart. God is still on the throne. And I believe that's what he was trying to tell the people in Isaiah's day when, when Isaiah had this, this, this sight of God on his throne. It's like... He's still there. He's still there. Don't forget it. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe, maybe that's the reason you came on a Wednesday night is because God wanted to remind you that, that, yeah, things look like they're disastrous in your life right now, but God is still on the throne. That his glory still fills the temple. That his glory is every single place that you look. God's still on the throne. And also, he's got some seraphim that kind of surround him too, right? And attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. So not only do we see God on the throne and Jesus on the throne, we also see these seraphim that were created for a single purpose, to, to do God's bidding, to do whatever God commanded. We'll see what they do here in just a minute, that one of them, what he does. But here, we, we see that they got six wings. They got six wings because, you know, God just got overzealous. He's like, man, you know, why do two? Why don't we do six? Well, no, the wings have a purpose, right? The wings have a purpose. Now, you can read every commentary you want. And, and, and everybody's got a different view. I think most people agree the reason they covered their faces or their eyes is because they were in the presence of the glory of God all the time. Every single day, 24-7, they're in the very presence of God. If you remember when Moses, he said, God, let me, just, let me just see you. Let me just get a glimpse of you. And God said, if you see me, you will be consumed by my holiness and you will die. It will kill you. My holiness will tear you apart. You can't see me. But you go hide in the cleft of the rock. You go hide over there in the cliff and I'll pass by you and you get to see my rear end. That's basically what he said. Uh, you get to see the afterglow as I pass by. You can get to see that. That's the only way we can do this. and You can see me without it killing you and destroying you because I am so holy. These seraphim, I believe that, that that's, that's what they're doing, man. They're, they're, they're covering their faces because of the glory of God is just shining all around them all day. And it, it's a sign of reverence, if you will, for the glory of God. And what are they proclaiming? 
holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. It, it, the reason they say it three times is because that was in Jewish tradition. That's the way it was. If you said something three times, that meant you really meant it. To drive home a point, you would say it three times, and they would say, he's not just holy. He, he, he's not just a holy God. He is not just a holy, holy God. He is a holy, holy, holy God. And see, we want you to, if we want you to get anything, we want you to get that the holiness of God is here, and you are in the present presence of the holiness of God. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. You also saw that the, the wings that covered the feet too, right? So with two they flew, two they had covering their eyes or their faces, and then two were covering their feet. Now you can study all you want to. You can go and research this, Wikipedia, whatever you want to do. But there, there's, there's a couple different thoughts as to why they covered their feet. Nobody can really settle on why. Some believe that this is kind of an illusion back. You know, I told you about Moses. He, he had to like hide himself from the glory of God because he would be consumed. So he, he hid his face from God. Well, some would say that because, you remember when, when, when Moses went and he met with God, God said what? He said, take off your sandals for the place that you're on is holy ground, right? He said, the, the ground that you stand on is holy ground. And some say that this is, this is like an allusion back to that where, 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 where the ground itself is holy and they, they, they have to cover up their feet because the ground is holy. Now, it's, it's basically another sign of reverence, but I believe it's probably the other explanation I've read about and heard about is the fact that in, in ancient custom, it was, if there was a dignitary, if there was a king, if there was a, a ruler of some sort around, that, that one of the things you had to do was cover up your legs and your feet as a sign of reverence for them. You didn't want to show your feet in the presence of them. And I think that that is probably the closest explanation that I can come up with and I, that I think agrees with Scripture most. Is that this is just one more sign of reverence. And some say, man, they were covered from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet with reverence for a holy God. And day in and day out, they just proclaimed the holiness of God. Now I want you to think about something for a second. Here you are, you're Isaiah, and you're standing in the temple. You're known as a man who proclaims the good news of God. You're known as a man that talks about the kingdom of God. You're talking about the holiness of God. And here you are witnessing the Lord of heaven's armies right in front of you. His, his, his train of his, of his garments are, are filling the temple. Seraphims are flying about. Proclaiming the holiness of God. I think on some level, some of us would be tempted to say, man, I'm the man right now. You know? Look at me. God has shown himself to me. I'm, getting, I'm able to witness this because, because of who I am. That would be the temptation to do that, right? To think that you're special in some regard. But I think that when you're confronted with the holiness of God, there, you can't have any pride. I think God demolishes your pride the instant you're in the presence of him. I believe you're instantly struck with humility just like Isaiah. And we see what Isaiah went through when he was struck with the humility of the holiness of God. Do you understand that when you see God and you see his holiness and you see God for who he really is, 
Do you recognize that you are immediately struck with the humility of who you are? Do you see that? You, you, you look at people that have had an encounter with God. When they've really surrendered their heart and life to Jesus Christ. When, when they come down to an altar and they say, I have recognized that the sum total of all that I am and all the goodness that is in me adds up to zero. And there is only one that is good. And there is only one that is holy. And he is God. And I have nothing that I can do but fall in his mercy. When you see that, when you see that, you know that somebody's had a real encounter with God. You can't come to God and, and get a taste of God and have an interaction with God and still remain prideful. All you can do is fall down in humility and say, look at who I really am. Because I have seen God for who he really is, I have seen me for who I really am. And that's exactly what Isaiah goes through right now. The whole earth is filled with their glory. Their voices shook the temple and its foundations. The entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. It's all over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. This is what he says. He says, I had an encounter with God, and I saw God, and it immediately made me recognize my sin. Immediately when I saw God, the first thing I thought about was my sin. When you have a real encounter with God, when, when you, really, uh, you really surrender to his, his lordship and his reign and rule in your life, when that happens, you cannot help but to see your sin and see the uncleanliness of your lips. You know what he's saying? This is a man that was revered by the people of Israel as, man, this is a man of God. This is the same lips he uses to proclaim the good news of God, the power of God, the glory of God. He is the one that talks to God with those lips. And here he says, the thing that is wrong with me is my lips. I have a filthy mouth. And I'm among people that have filthy mouths. All they do is, is say things that are against God. The things that come out of their mouths are things against God. If anybody... If anybody around in that day and time would have a reason to say that, that I have a clean mouth, it would be this guy. If there was anybody that, that would think for a second, man, I say good things. I, I talk about God. What I do is really good. It would be this guy because he really had a reason to say those things. But what happened is when he had an encounter with God, all he could think about was how filthy his mouth was and how filthy the mouths were, the people that or in Israel, in the kingdom of Judah at this time. That's all he can think about. That's all he can think about. It's been bad news up to this point, right? It's almost been like, this is hard to hear. It's, it's difficult to think about this man of God seeing himself and recognizing who he is and recognizing his sin. It's, it's hard to hear. It gets better. Then, oh, there's all, oh my goodness, thank you for the then. Whew, I was worried that it was never going to turn good. It just was bad, you know, like it was just like sin and who I am and who God is, and it's all bad, but there's a then. I'm so thankful for the then, right? A lot of times in the New Testament, it's a but, but this one happens to be a then. You know, it's a then. Hang on a second is what I say is still in. Wait just a minute. It gets good. Then. One of the seraphim flew to me, 
with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. Uh-oh. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. The seraphim who exist to do the bidding of God, they don't do anything unless God tells them to, right? So this is like God himself doing this. The seraphim come down with their two wings. They fly down with a pair of tongs. They, they, they grab one of the coals from the altar. He's in the temple, so there are these coals that they burn. So they can burn incense. They can, they can do all this stuff in, in the temple. And they, he takes one of the coals that's really hot. You know, like when a fire is burning in your fireplace and it's red hot, right? That's what's going on here. So he's got one of the coals that's taken out, just like out of the, the Weber barbecue pit. And he's taking one of those coals that's searing hot. And what does he do with it? He addresses the very thing that Isaiah was burdened about, and that was his lips. His lips were unclean. He was among a people of unclean lips, and he takes the burning hot coal and sticks it where? To the most sensitive part of his body, his lips. His lips. And he seals his lips. He sears his lips with the burning hot coal. What does that say? What does that say to you and me? The process is painful, isn't it? When you recognize who you are and your sinfulness, and you go through the process of falling at his feet in humility, and God wants to do a purifying work in your life, it's painful. It's not easy it's not simple it, 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 there's a, a purifying work that happens and when he puts that coal to his lips and seals his lips he says it's painful it's painful but it's cleansing it's cleansing he said you, you've confessed it right that's what he did right he confessed the fact that he was he had unclean lips and the people of Israel had unclean lips he confessed it and then he said I'm going to cleanse it with the fire of God, I'm going to cleanse it and I'm going to make it pure. I'm going to seal it. I'm going to seal it. He says, you know what he says? He says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine these seraphim that, that do the bidding of God, they do whatever God commands. Here he is in the very presence of God. He's confessed. He's been through the pain of the searing of his lips. And now he hears in the presence of God, your sins have been forgiven. The transforming work of the power of God happened right then and right there in Isaiah's life. Your sins have been forgiven. Isn't that what every single person in this room wants to hear? Aren't those the words that you want to hear? I know that you have unclean lips. I know that you've done things against God. I know that you try to lead a bunch of people that are against God. I know those things. But the thing that I want you to hear from God is that your sins have been forgiven. You talk about good news, man. Yeah, it was painful to endure it. Yeah, it was tough to confess it. Yeah, but it was painful, but it was good. It was cleansing. And God said, your sins have been forgiven. 
You know what I know? There are people that call themselves Christians, but they're not really. There are people that say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but they're not really. And, and you say, well, how do you know that, Kenny? Because I have talked to person after person after person. This is, this is what I say to them. You want to know what I say to them? I say, when you lay your head down on the pillow at night and, and you think about you, at that point, do you say, I'm a Christian? When you think about your life and you take the whole big picture of it, and nobody else is around, and nobody else is there for you to say, I'm a Christian, I got a, a cross pin on my lapel. Nobody else is around. They can't see your car tag. They, they can't see the Jesus sticker on your notebook. They can't see any of that stuff. When it's just you, and you say, I'm a Christian, you know the answer to that question. You really do. You really do. Because you know if you've been through this or not. You know that you've been through this process or not. It gets even better. It gets even better. Then, there's another then. So we had the first then, which is the cleansing and purifying of his lips, right? His sins have been forgiven. That was the first then. Now there's a second step. And this, this is for us, right? This is for us too. There's another then. So it doesn't just stop there, right? It doesn't, it's not like, okay, good, I'm forgiven. All right, I'm out. Thank you, Jesus. I'll head out the temple now. It was really good to see you in your glory and your seraphims, and it was really awesome, and I thank you very much. Have a nice day. No, no, no. There's another then. There's another then. What does he say? Then I heard the Lord asking. You know what I'm about to say, right? When the Lord asks a question, is it because he doesn't know? When the Lord asks, and when God, whether it's Genesis, Revelation, I don't care where you are in the Bible, when God asks a question, it's an invitation, right? It's not because he don't know, because trust me, he knows. It's not like God is, is going, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't have a clue. I, Sitting up here, twiddling my thumbs, just worried about it, worried sick about it. I didn't know. When God asks a question, trust me, he already knows the answer. When God asks a question, it is an invitation. People are going to ask you 10 years from now, what would you ever get from Simple Church? And the only thing you can be able to say is, when God asks a question, it's an invitation. Kenny said it about a million times, and I'm sick of hearing it, but I know that that's the answer. When God asks a question, it's an invitation. What does he invite Isaiah to do? He says, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am. Send me. I said, here I am. Send me. I want you to understand something. What was the last thing that Isaiah said before he said this? Before he said this was before the other then. He said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I am among a people of unclean lips. He says, he said, I've got a filthy mouth, and I, I'm around a bunch of people that all they talk about is bad stuff about God. 
And all of a sudden, now, after the transforming power of work, uh, power of God that has worked in his life, what happens? All of a sudden, now he's a man that says, you want somebody to go and tell them about how good you are and how glorious you are and the glory of God. I'm your man. Use these lips. Before, he said, my lips are awful and nasty and filthy and I can't even speak good things about you. Now he's saying, you want a messenger? I'm your man. You want somebody to go for you and speak for you? You need to use me. Here I am, God. Send me. More evidence of a true conversion, in my opinion. More evidence of somebody that now they recognize. You think he think he look, he's been studying about God all his life. And he wasn't equipped before. Now all of a sudden. This happens in his life, and all of a sudden, he's equipped now. And people tell me all the time, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough scripture in order to be able to tell people about God. You're wrong. You know what has to happen? The transforming power of God in your life. If you're not a Christian, they know you're not equipped to tell people about God. The only way that you're equipped to tell people about God is if you're a Christian. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. The humility, the searing, painful transformation that comes from the power of God. And all of a sudden, just like that, you're equipped. And I want to tell everybody else. I, I, want, I want to be the one that tells everybody else. Don't send anybody else, God. Send me. Send me. Is that the story of your life? Is that the story of your relationship with God? Is that how you feel right now, sitting in the chair that you're sitting in? If God wants to use somebody, I hope that he uses me. Maybe you need to come and talk to God about it. God's asking the question, in your school and in your workplace, who am I going to send? Who's going to go and be my messenger? He's at, He's Asking who in your family is going to be the one that's going to tell. Who, who amongst your little group of people that you're around day in and day out, who's going to be the one? Who's going to be the one? The answer is the Christian. If that's you, then it's you. If, that's you, if it's not you, then you're not a Christian. And that's the simple truth. Let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for the power of your word. Lord, the, the understanding that comes from only the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts and lives of the people that have heard this word. God, and it would change them. Lord, some people need to come in repentance to you because they never have before. They've never felt the pain of the humility of recognizing their sin for what it is and who they are in the midst of their unclean lips and unclean lives. Lord, I just pray that that person would come in repentance before you, fall at your mercy, and say, God, seal my lips and make me clean. Restore me and make me like you originally created me. I pray that that person would come. Lord, and then for those, Lord, maybe they recognize that they've never fully surrendered to you uh, when it comes to the area of being your messenger. Maybe they are Christians. And, and God, there's something deep within them that, that wants to, to share and to tell and to be your messenger, God. But, but maybe there's something in their lives that's pro prohibiting them from doing that. God, I pray that you would purify them of that. God, that they would come in repentance before you and say, God, 
I want to be used by you. I want you to use me for your glory. God, but either I've got fear in my life or I've got sin in my life or something is keeping me from you. Something is keeping me from being a vessel for you. God, whatever that may be, I pray that they would come to you. And then for the person, Lord, that's here. God, they feel like calamity is all around them. That's like... Like they're on the brink of destruction. Everywhere they look, they, they just think that, that, that it's over with. It's done. It, it's finished. I'm going to lose. I pray that you would show them that you are still on the throne. God, that your glory fills this place. That your glory fills their lives. And everywhere they look, I pray that they would see your glory. God, because you are still on the throne. And you are high and lifted up. God, we love you. This time belongs to you. I pray that your people would be obedient to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand?